imagine that you're a college student. Some of you are, so that shouldn't be too difficult. Some of you soon will be. The trouble is that some of us were uh, so long ago that it is a real exercise in memory on this Memorial Day weekend. But anyway, imagine that you are a college student. It's late on a night before a big final exam. You've been studying with friends, and all of you are hungry and ready for a break, so you head for a diner to get some food and coffee. You get jazzed on caffeine, and you feel a touch of homesickness, and you sense a pang of worry about what you're going to do after you graduate. You want your family to be proud of you, but you're also tired of being nervous about what they think. You'd like to make a difference in the world, but you also need to make a living. You hope you can find a job that pays pretty well, but you don't want to be bored out of your mind or for it to eat you alive. So it gets later and later, and slowly this study group turns into a kind of philosophy seminar. What's life all about? What really matters? Who am I really? The comedian George Carlin, and if you tell anybody that I quoted George Carlin, I will deny it. The, uh, the, the comedian George Carlin said, some people see things as they are and ask why. Some people dream of things that never were and ask why not. Some people have to go to work and don't have time for all that. (laughs) He also said, just when I discovered the meaning of life, they changed it. (laughs) The great tropical philosopher, the singer and songwriter Jimmy Buffett, thinks he knows. Maybe it's all too simple for our brains to figure out. What if the hokey pokey is really all it's all about? Now, these questions of identity, these questions of purpose, aren't, even though we get too busy to ask them sometimes, they aren't just for young adults. In fact, these questions have a way of sneaking back into our consciousness from time to time. I've noticed they sneak back in, especially when we're exhausted or frustrated or disillusioned. Or something else happens to to raise these bigger questions that we sometimes manage to avoid. Maybe you reconnect with an old friend on Facebook, a friend who knew you when your idealism had not yet been shattered and your dreams had not yet been shoved aside. And just being in touch with this friend from long ago unsettles you somehow. How did I end up like this, you ask? You look up from your desk and out the window one day and you realize you've been out of college now for 20 years. And these years have, just as the adults tried to tell you when you graduated from high school, these 20 years have just sped by. It all seems like a blur. And you realize that in another 20 years, 
you'll be staring retirement in the face. And you ask, along with Peggy Lee, is this all there is? Your mother is ill and dying, and you realize that your own life will have an end, too. And so you ask, if only for a moment, am I really doing what I was meant to do, what God dreams I will do? Am I spending my hours, my days, my years to express who I really am? Often these lines from a William Stafford poem just echo in my mind and heart. Sometime when the river is ice, he wrote, sometime when the river is ice, ask me mistakes I have made. Ask me whether what I have done is my life. Are we being and doing our lives, our honest-to-God lives? Why are we here? Who are we? As the beautiful reading and enactment of our scripture lesson and the incredibly lovely singing of it reminds us, the psalmist Ask these kinds of questions too. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars you have established, what are human beings? What are human beings that you are mindful of them? Mortals that you care for them. Whenever, and I know you've, you have this experience likely, too. It's common to all of us, which is why it's so important. It's the kind of experience I think the psalmist had in mind and heart. Whenever I stand beside the ocean late at night and gaze out across the seemingly endless expanse of water and imagine the fathomless depths to which it plunges and then stare up into the stars and remember that there are galaxies, solar systems, immensities beyond the reach of even our most powerful telescopes. I feel a shudder of trembling awe at the thought of God, who is somehow, we don't know how, but at the thought of God who is somehow the source and the goal and the story of all that we see and fail to see. This trembling awe at the thought of God from whose life all this sprang and into whose heart it is all headed. But I also feel a kind of fearful anxiety about my own insignificance. Suppose, you've heard something like this before, but suppose we plotted what we know about the history of the universe and of the earth on a one-year calendar, with each day equaling 14 million years and one hour equaling a half million years. Then our history would be as follows. 
On January 1st, the Earth's crust congealed. Dinosaurs appeared on December 21st. Neanderthal man arrived at 11.50 on New Year's Eve. Relative to the overall history of the natural cosmos, says the physicist Philip Hefner, the role of the human species is staggering in its minuteness. So who am I? Who are we? Why are we here? What's it all about? Who am I? Who are we? Over against the vast scale and scope of creation and the measureless span of time and eternity. Now our fear is that we're not much. That we're not much and that we don't matter very much and that there isn't really any point to our lives after all. There's nothing really unique about us. And that's one story about who we are. We're cosmic dust mites whose existence amounts to almost nothing. We are a temporarily animated bundle of DNA whose hopes, dreams, fears, and yearnings are all going to be swept away. The philosopher Phil, uh, Richard Rorty said, there is nothing in, in human beings that makes us special. That's one story. And I don't want, I'll talk more about this next week, I don't, I don't want, I think it's fruitless and actually defeating to set up any kind of false wars between science and faith. That, that's the wrong fight. But that story of our just being cosmic dust with nothing special or unique about us is a story which biblical faith counters. The biblical faith says there is something deep down inside us that we didn't put there, and it is the image of God. We bear the stamp of God's character. We breathe the breath of God's own life. Gardner Taylor, the wonderful African-American preacher, said, Tell all the stories you can. Mount all the science you can mount. But when we have all had our say... What remains is, in the beginning, God. And in God, we live and move and have our being. So in our bodies, in our minds, in our spirits, we carry an indelible likeness to God. And so the psalmist shouts and sings over against the vastness of God and the finiteness of our own lives, this psalmist sings, you have made us a little lower than yourself, and you have crowned us with glory and honor. We are here, friends. I, I just want to remind you of what you already know. We are here because of God, and for God. We are here because of love and for love. We are here because of joy and for joy. We are here 
because God's great love and bright joy couldn't be contained. They spilled over into life. God would not, could not remain alone. God's passion and delight gave birth to the world. And that delight that spilled over into life, that joy and love that made the world and who we are, that joy and delight are for us to take joy and delight in. Madeline Lingle said, We are not meant to cringe before God. We are to enjoy and delight in everything the Lord has made and given us. Sunsets and sunrises, a baby's first laugh, friendship and love, the brilliance of the stars. You have made us, O God, a little less than yourself. You've crowned us with glory and honor. You've given us the joy and love that made our lives. And now we sing back to you, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. For several years, after he retired from teaching, Emory Professor Fred Craddock helped to start a little church in rural North Georgia. One day he got a call to go to the small county hospital nearby to visit a young woman and her husband. She had just given birth to their baby girl. This couple was obviously from deep in the backwoods and high up in those Georgia hills. Craddock first met the father and they stood together at the nursery window looking at the newborns, father proudly pointing out his little girl. The baby was screaming her lungs out. She was in some kind of awful distress. Craddock said, what'd you name her? He said, we named her Elizabeth. Then Craddock tried to reassure this young daddy. He said, well, you know, she's not sick or anything. It's good for him to scream. It clears out their lungs. The father said, oh, I know. I know. She ain't sick. She's just mad. (laughs) Well, well, why would she be mad? Well, (laughs) I just love this. Well, wouldn't you be if one minute you were with God in heaven and the next minute you were in Georgia? So Fred said, do you believe she was with God before she came here? Oh, yeah. You think she'll remember? Well, that's up to her ma and me. We got to make sure she remembers who she is, because if she forgets, she's a goner. And so many of us have forgotten. Our whole culture seems to me to be afflicted with this amnesia. We can't seem to remember who we really are. 
crowned with glory and honor from God, for God, out of God's joy, out of God's love, we can't seem to remember. And because we can't remember, we mistreat ourselves and we mistreat each other. Because we can't remember, we take into ourselves all kinds of substances and experiences trying to fill the emptiness that only the awareness that we belong to God can fill. Remember. Remember this psalm urges us. You're not from Georgia or West Virginia or wherever else. You're from God. And God's delight and love are for you. Raymond Carver, in his last book of poems, A New Path to the Waterfall, wrestled with his own mortality. He'd been sick with cancer for several years. And in this brief final poem he wrote, he asked himself a question we all ask. And did you get what you wanted from this life even so? Did you get from this life what you wanted even so? I did. And what did you want? To call myself beloved. To feel myself beloved on the earth. It's what we all want. And it's what God gladly, freely gives. From joy for joy. From love for love. From God for God. Crowned with glory and honor. Amen.